A warm welcome to Questions Worth Asking, a podcast where we capture and translate wisdom from multiple disciplines in order to fuel the next generation of changemakers. Hello, welcome back to Questions Worth Asking. This is Season 3, Episode 6. I'm Priya. And I'm John. So today we have Danita Folkvane with us where Danita and I met about three years ago. She's currently the uh, manager of knowledge management for Rockefeller Philanthropy Advisors. Danita and I met basically in our journeys of practicing and learning knowledge management. And I'm excited to hear that Danita basically finds knowledge management as an entree into racial equity discussions. So Danita, welcome aboard. Thanks for the welcome. I'm so happy to be here. I... I'm sheltering in place in Brooklyn, New York, um, because of the COVID virus. Uh, and I'm also sheltering in place in Brooklyn, New York from all of the racial unrest that's currently happening in our country. Also, this, this whole conversation is really important. I think on a, on a very global level, but I think for everyone on an individual level, it, it hits differently. I was born in South Africa. My, my technical race in the apartheid years is a cape colored. I'm a colored person, but I moved to the United States when I was five and am now a naturalized U.S. citizen. So for some people, I would be an African-American. For others, I'd be a brown person. I consider myself, I define myself as a woman of color. Thank you, Denise. I think that's uh, that's really useful because we're on a podcast, especially. Let's let's check in with that because we're going to be having a very real and honest conversation around race, particularly now through the pandemic, and particularly now through the, the time that we're living in. So just to just to follow suit, um, I'm Priya. I'm uh, my uh, Indian heritage, but born and raised in the UK. Um, so that's that's me. And John? Sure. So I was born in the Washington, D.C. area in the States. I identify as white, male, heterosexual, middle-aged and um, able-bodied and my pronouns I do think are important to share are he his and him thank you um, so for ho- hopefully for our listeners they get a bit of a picture about who's having um, this conversation now just to set a little bit of context when John and I were planning on coming back and doing a whole season about living through the pandemic one of the things that was happening and was emerging at the time in different countries, particularly around the US and the UK, was the way that COVID-19 was disproportionately affecting the BAME community, so black and minority ethnic community. And so we wanted to have a conversation about that. Now, this was about four weeks ago. And quite importantly, it was before um, the murder of George Floyd. It was before the protests that have happened all over the world. Um, So it's before all of that. So we can't ignore that. That's an incredibly seminal moment for us. And so whilst we're talking about living through the pandemic and and being a person of colour, it's particularly with respect to what's going on and what is very live uh, right now. I imagine, Dita, you're from Brooklyn. So I imagine the protests are very live there. And obviously, John, you're from Washington, D.C. So again, they're quite live there at the moment. Yeah, um, I am grateful, privileged um, enough that I am able to work from home. And occasionally I can hear the sounds of the protests go past me. And it there's something really stirring about hearing 
hearing people supporting justice. And um, I will be honest and say that I, I am not going to the protests. One of the reasons is because of COVID. Um, I'm terrified of it. My next door neighbor passed away. And um, the other reason is that I would not do well in jail. And I, honestly, I mean, the people who've put their lives and their bodies in front of this protest, in the in the midst of this protest, have my utmost respect. So I'm doing what I can from inside my little apartment in Brooklyn to further the message of equity, justice, and creating a space that, that we all inhabit together. So Denise, I, I'm going to dive right in because this is such an important issue at the moment. But often it's one that people find really hard to talk about. And also right now, it's massively become part of the world's consciousness. So if you were somebody that was, you know, had a vague awareness of race and racial issues, right now, the last two weeks has been a, a, a big awakening moment for a lot of people. Not everyone, but a lot of people. We have like 20 minutes together, half an hour together on this podcast. What, what would be something that would feel very important for you to say around race and COVID-19 and what's happening right now? What feels really important as a starting point for us? I was on a call yesterday. My organization was wonderful enough to have spaces for us to talk about this. And we we were broken up into affinity groups that we self-selected. So affinity groups are people, uh, like we had a, a, a white affinity group, a black affinity group, an Asian affinity group, and Latinx affinity group. And, you know, there was the question, why are you breaking us up into these into these groups? And it was so that we could say things that we might not have said in front of a multiracial audience. And I talked to some of my white friends afterwards just to say, how, you know, how did it go? Did you enjoy it? Um, and or not enjoy. Enjoy is the wrong word. But um, our white colleagues and friends talked a lot about they're like you said that coming in some of them have have been fighting this fight right alongside us for for years for decades but others are are getting a, a deeper glimpse into what's happening and i think at the moment there's a lot of guilt and a lot of like how do i be a good ally and in the in the black affinity group it was about how do we deal with the pain and grief and so for me that that's that set a a, a difference of what we're dealing with every single day, every single moment versus people coming into the fight to be good allies, which we desperately need. But I would say that, that that's an important thing to know that there's there's so much hurt and pain right now. And we have to be so mindful of each other's beings. Let me throw that question back at you then, to both of you. What would you want people to know about where we are? If I speak from my experience as married, uh, white American male, it, it's tricky to have the words, right? Because the, the word I'm trying not to use right up front is normal. And the word I'm trying to use is awareness. And I guess the, the difference I'm saying between the two is there is no one normal right? Normal does not need to mean or equate with white male, right? There can be multiple 
normals and the, therefore then shifting it's like i said not even wanting to use that word what what is typical what is normal what are we comparing to what are we aspiring to no the beauty of difference could be that there is difference and so that awareness of who gets the promotions who gets into colleges who uh, take it even younger who who's asked to lead the line in elementary school right like it's it's looking at behaviors it's looking at words it's being in that deep awareness of what is the experience i'm having what is the experience others are having and to start using our language of equality and equity and the differences between those as priya saying what is my part what is all of our parts and being skilled and practiced and willing to have those conversations and as i sense i'm doing right now frankly fumbling through it making some mistakes and hopefully being in a space for forgiveness because another one i would put up there with i don't even want to repeat the word normal would be microaggressions as one of those big fancy words that i sort of heard you both speaking to which is when i say something or do something that intentionally or unintentionally offend someone the, the little examples that i'm probably not even aware of being in that space being in that that ability to then offer feedback to each other and raise and deepen my awareness of hey when you say those words that brings this up for me i don't think that was your intent but can i just let you know that that's what's going on here so then i wonder i'm trying to frame this as a question if we were to share this podcast with our friends and neighbors and sort of uh, anybody what are some stories? What are some examples? What are some some more standout moments that I don't know, positive or negative impact? Something that stands out is let's get these stories shared for others to hear. One big one that's going on in the UK at the moment is the Edward Colston um, statue in Bristol has been taken down uh, by protesters and chucked in the river. Uh, Edward Colston was a slave trader, and there's been a massive. Um, dividing line between people that have kind of gone great you know you know yeah well done there brilliant and then other people that have you know they support the black lives matter movement um i think some of them do but they don't think that um people should have you know protested and taken down the statue so there seems to be a dynamic between people that support black lives matter but don't support the protesting or support Black Lives Matter and support the protesting. And and at its worst, there is a slight theme emerging on social media around the second wave that's at risk with the pandemic now being the fault of the protesters. So at its worst, that's what that looks like. And at its best, it looks like people um, you know, taking a very compassionate view of, of 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 understanding that these issues have been around for years and decades and decades and actually peaceful protest and um you know hasn't always worked and so they understand that people are protesting now because peaceful protest hasn't worked um, or hasn't worked to the same extent to make it really equitable and fair but that's emerging as a bit of a dividing line um, and so you see some people being quite critical and blaming protesters for the second wave and then you see another line of thought about people being more supportive and that i think is leading to another divide 
that's definitely going on at the moment. How have um, people reacted to the protesters in the States? Is it different or is it the same? You know, the States, the States has lost its mind a little bit because we are focusing on sometimes just the wrong things, right? I I see the, the protesters there with in solidarity and it moves something in me. But at the same time, when they're not wearing masks, I, I worry for their lives because it is not a joke that there is a second wave coming. But the messaging in the United States has been so difficult and so obscured by politics that we are many of the people who are in protests do not know that they are risking their lives right now. I think many people knowing that they're risking their lives would still go, but it is it is masks have become politicized. It it becomes the theater of the absurd at some point. You know, if you know that by doing this action there's a possibility for you to save someone else's life and it costs you nothing except a bit of discomfort. Why in the world would that become a political issue? And I, I think it, it speaks to like the deeply ingrained lack of connection here. Um, going back to John's point about um, who gets to lead the line in in kindergarten and all of that, I, I think for for us it, it goes even deeper because there's been a huge push in the United States to to have universal pre K come in. Because, you know, children get a, a bigger head start, education starts so much easier, you know, closer, they, they socialize, et cetera, et cetera. But an unintended consequence of that was that it meant that little black children were becoming in, involved in the police so much earlier. We've had four-year-olds handcuffed, seven-year-olds handcuffed. Do you, do you put your child education first? Or do you put your child's safety first? Because once you get involved in the court system, it is really hard to escape it. How do we shift that conversation from should I wear a mask or not to is it right to handcuff a child? Which then brings up for me the, <clears throat> I guess, similar to the George Floyd, right? This question around um can can you step in when you see someone hurting someone else and who can step in and in what way so there's the physical behavior there's the the voice and the words and the the speaking up that comes for things um the ability to know when to speak up and how to speak up i find quite challenging and yet when I'm with friends and family and often in these relatively comfortable spaces, I can hear the examples that that trigger me in some way. And that's one of my personal learning edges is how and when to speak up and what environment it's appropriate and not. And again, just what words and, and how to deliver these things. And I guess similar to all these different intersections, all these different kinds of ways we identify ourselves, how challenging that is, how, um, you know, Dina, you talk about exhaustion and being tired because it is just a, it, it's, it's in the air, it's in the water, it's, it's how, it's in the dust in the air was a recent example I heard of 
The dust is always there, and it's not until you shine the bright light that you realize we were all sharing the same dust. Guys, can we just, I'm just going to pause this from uh, the conversation for a second. I just want to share how I'm feeling and to ask if you're feeling the same. And if you're not, then I'm, I'll am i like, we'll kind of crack on. Like, I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure we're having the conversation we want to be having. How so? I, I'm not sure. Like, I, I felt, I felt. I, I, it might have been me in terms of how I introduced it. Actually, I'm just thinking about that. It just it it. I feel like I want to be hearing more of from Danita. I feel like the it, it feels more fragmented. But but I, that might just be me. So I just want to chuck it out there and say I'm I'm not sure that we're in the sparky conversation fiery bit that I thought we'd be in. Is anybody else feeling like this? I now that you mention it, I'm feeling it slightly. Okay, but there are there are a number of times when I felt like I wanted to say something, yeah. but didn't want to didn't want to step in on anybody else's toes or stories. You know, hmm. what is it that you'd really like to say, or the direction, or maybe it's um, what's the conversation you want to be having, Priya? Thank you guys for shifting with me. I'm sorry that I've. I hope I haven't disrupted anybody. I just this is so important. I just really want to get out everything in a really important way. So when we originally came up with the idea of doing this, it was because the BAME community was disproportionately more affected by COVID-19 than um, other ethnic communities. And we felt like that was an important point to cover as part of this series, which is about living through the pandemic. Now, since then, um, the Black Lives Matter and the George George Floyd protests have lit a fire across the world. And we, we cannot ignore that. So... Dita, I'm I'm really excited to have this kind of conversation and I'm I really want to do it justice. And it's really easy when you're talking about race, and I do it, you know, I do it myself, so I, I know how easy it is to almost skirt around the topic or to um water it down or to make it um pleasant uh, so it is more accessible to more people of different kind of colour. And I and I I'm holding myself account, I'm holding us account to, to not doing that in this episode, so to not water it down, to be as truthful and as raw as we can be. So right now, you are sitting in Brooklyn, you are a woman of colour as you've described yourself, George Floyd has happened, the world has reacted, what is the reality of what you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis right now? Yeah, um... On a personal level, finding ways to hold myself together so that I can hold spaces for other people who, who need it. Your question about, like, let's not sugarcoat it is really apt. I mean, the systems in the United States are, somebody on the radio said the other day, the systems are not broken. Systems are doing exactly what they're set to, what they're designed and built to do. And what those systems are meant to do is to denigrate, demoralize, and kill black people and other members of the people of color communities. So we have to, if you're really, really serious about change, I think for the United States, we have to get on the same page about the fact that these systems that are lauded as you know, we're the best country in the world and look at what we're doing and you should follow our example. No, those systems are unjust. They are 
system's intent on murder. That's just so... This is this feels like such an inadequate response. You know, we've known about this for decades, right? Like, you know, George Floyd is not... He's special, but he's also not special. He's not the first person to have died this way, right? No. What is it, do you think, about this particular moment? Why has why has it been this that started the fire around the world? I, 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 I'm not clear on that either, if I'm honest. I think, oh, I'm going to get it wrong, but the, the Martin Luther King Jr. quote of protests are the voice of the unheard. Yes. We've been unheard for so long. We're heard by each other, but we're not heard by the system, by the hierarchies that are put into place. And so understanding, like, we, <laughs> the, the virus is brutalizing black and brown communities. Yes. Because for those of us who have inadequate health care or lack of access to doctors or have to be our essential workers that that cannot work from home um the the systemic racism of the united states has put us in incredibly vulnerable positions so that if we encounter a disease there's such a greater chance of our deaths than for the white community this is not to say that the white community is also not suffering, but we're being, but the, the black and brown communities are being affected so devastating. Native American populations, it, it's sweeping through like a wildfire. And so you've got economic instability, except for the stock market, which seems to be doing just fine now again, because it's not related to reality. That's a whole different topic. But then you've got people who are saying, I need a haircut, let me out of lockdown, versus people who are saying, I need to feed my family, when can I go back to my job? Or I have to go to my job now and potentially kill my family when I come back carrying COVID with me. And then you put, because with that, that means we're already on dry, husks of paper and twigs and then this this trifecta of Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor and George Floyd come up and just set a match to the whole thing because um, there was this amazing video that came out um, of, of a woman who was just she was be, she was done she was done and her last statement on this video that was out was y'all had better be glad that we're fighting for equality and not revenge and that just said it to me in a way that was just like raw and open and like we're not trying to 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 be better than you or to to gain an advantage to the system we're trying not to die why why are you so intent on upholding systems that allow that i'm I'm just breathing in what you're saying um you know it's 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 really making me um it's really it's it's passing through me it it really is i can feel it like a wave and it's making me think it's making me think, Danita, about how when I grew up. So I grew up in I'm Indian. Um, I'm 
you know, the experiences of Indian people versus black people are different. Um, racism is racism, but I think that you, within the cultural spectrum of different colors, you can experience that racism differently. So I'm not, I'm not trying to say my experience is the same, but I, I do want to add voice to, to this. So when I was growing up, racism was my responsibility. I, I learned about it at seven. Um, some girls at school had said something racist. I didn't know that it was racist, but I knew that they'd been mean. I went to tell my mum and my mum, um, intervened and explained what racism was and in any conversation I had about racism when I was a kid implicit in every single conversation was that racism was my responsibility to deal with so it was either ignore it um, ignore them don't listen to this or it's going to be twice as hard for you so you have to be twice as good you have to work twice as hard you have to get grades that are two times better and and that's not unique to my parents. That's a similar thing that most black and minority ethnic kids hear. But it was like the system is rigged and you have to be twice as good to, in order to, to kind of overcome the disadvantage of the colour of your skin. And it what what it feels like to me that's happening right now is that, you know, black, minority, ethnic, brown, whatever terminology you want to put on it, I think people are just sick of it being our responsibility our sole responsibility and it feels like people are some people are tired of fighting it you know I, I know some people that I've seen on the news are just completely fed up and tired of fighting it and other people who are perhaps newer into this system and experiencing the outrage and, uh, uh, you know, sharing the Blackout Tuesday and all that sort of stuff. I think there's a whole wave of allies coming in now um, with with what seems to be a lot of energy to try and um, be more aware of the system and the need to do your own kind of work on, on, on this field. And certainly that's, you know, I hope I'm not being my na my na naive by saying that, but it does seem to be a whole wave of people now that are waking up to what um you know definitely the black community you know and, and the BAME, wider BAME community have been aware of for decades and then i guess i'm pondering I'm, I'm working through two things one is every time we have these conversations um it's more and more learning for me and yet i've also already learned that it's not other people's job to teach me doing my work and, and raising my own awareness and it's no one else's responsibility. Maybe there's a touch of shared responsibility there, but some, some deep ownership here. And so this holding myself from jumping into action, jumping into, so what do I do? How do I fix who gets hired inside organizations? How do I fix education systems? What's, what's my part to go in and action, action, action. Great. And empathy and that's where i'm i think trying to focus and put more attention and effort is the the awareness the understanding the feeling of of equity of equality and somehow the two go together for me and i don't even have the the words for it but yeah my effort being there on both yeah i i, I agree with the there's a difference between a basic education and talking through some very deep and difficult issues. Like if you come to me and you ask me, 
what's racism in the United States? I'm going to send you to read like five books and 15 articles before we can come back and have that conversation again, right? But if you are somebody who's been an ally for, for years, as you have been, John, then it becomes a conversation. Then it becomes a sharing of perspectives. An article by my friend Dax Devlin Ross was like, there are so many good things in that article, but he said, uh, he, he wrote a letter to his white friends, his white male friends of a certain age. And at a certain point, he's like, you know, you, you can't come into this fight thinking that, or like, it's okay if you're not the leader of the fight. It's okay if you're not the commander, because if you're going to the gym for the first time, you wouldn't immediately start bench pressing 500 pounds. You'd work your way up to it. You would commit to it. You would work, you'd do some work every single day so that you could get to the point where you could lift a significant amount of weight. And the <laughs> the line that just made me um, snap my fingers and chuckle and say, yes, was you need to work at racism you need to put the same amount of work into ra into dealing with racism as you do with working on your love handles. <laughs> oh my god, that's a lot of work, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and but it, yeah, Danita, you before when we were when we were planning when we were talking around this issue in the planning, you shared a quote. Uh, is it from Rachel Cargill talking particularly around black women? And I I just want to amplify that voice because. I hadn't thought about this that way, but I really liked um, the story that you shared about what she said. Could you could you just share that? Sure. Um, for people who don't know, uh, Rachel Cargill is using her voice, her activism through the platform of Instagram as one of the many ways she reaches out. She does lectures, etc. And I should say, in full disclosure, I sit on the board of her foundation. Rachel wrote an, well, so she interviewed, she and her friend interviewed each other in a Harper's Bazaar mag, uh, magazine article. Um, and the premise of that, that interview was, what does it look, what does revolution look like? And they came and they were like, you know what revolution would really look like? Black women sleeping, just napping, having the, having the, the ability to just rest Rest is the real revolution. And on, on, on the surface, it may sound very um, flippant or naive, but in, deeper in the article, uh, the question was raised, like, would you, if, if you didn't have to fight this fight, would you be fighting it? And Rachel put that to a number of her friends who all said, no, I would be doing the stuff that I, I, would, I would go write my novel. I would go dance. I would go lead an organization. But I can't do those things because, as you said, Priya, somehow fixing racism became our problem. Like in the United States, there is not one black family who has not had the conversation with a son to say, here is what you do when the police come after you. So it, it, it's put on children as young as six or seven because that's when people start to have that conversation to fix a system or to, to put up uh, armor against the system that is, that is wrong, rather than saying, why, why would you have to have that conversation? And I, I, want, I want to bring in the UK as well, because, we, you know, we have our own dirty laundry when it comes to this. And um one of the things, so this is the 9th of June, 
And we are, in terms of COVID-19, we are, our R number is supposedly under one in all places in the country. And this weekend saw mass protests um, in London, in major cities all around the UK, um, in solidarity, people standing with George Floyd, people standing with the Black Lives Matter. Um, and what you're seeing now, it's creeping in the edges, is a narrative uh, of blame already. And that blame is around the second wave of COVID-19 now being the responsibility of the people that went out and protested this weekend. And it's really hard because what I'm noticing is people are struggling to have a conversation about it, about masks, wearing them, social distancing, the right to protest, all of these things, you know, entry points for blame around a second wave if it comes and who's to fault for that. And also, you know, it's become very political, you know, social distancing, who wears a mask, um, you know, all of these issues have, have been politicised. And so the conversation about race, which is already hard enough to have, you know, it's already difficult to talk about privilege, to talk about white fragility. It's already difficult to talk about all these things. Now, in the backdrop of COVID-19, it's it feels like it's even harder. Yep. And I think, Priya, we could potentially do an entire season <laughs> on this kind of topic. To me, we're beginning to scratch the surface and yet, you know, trying not to skirt around the issue. And yet it's just so hard to pinpoint the issue and have all the multiple perspectives and conversations yeah. that need to be had. So if we sadly wrap up this episode with a question worth asking... I'll try first, but, you know, as always, sort of unformed. One of the other memes, one of the other quotes I've seen going across that has sat with me a little bit is, um, it's not enough to be non-racist, you have to be anti-racist. And so maybe that's where I'm tossing in a question is, um, what does it look like for me to be anti-racist and aiming for equality? Something like that. But I don't know. Danita, Priya, what's a question worth asking for you? I go back to a, a question that the president of Kiribati asked. Um, this was, oof, what, two or three years ago. Um, Kiribati is a small island nation. And he was talking about the fact that they are paying for uh, climate change that they didn't create. Their island is starting to go underwater. They've had to buy land from Fiji. And his question, and I think it it, it really hits home on how all of these issues are interconnected and interwoven and complex. His question to the assembled people was, are your creature comforts worth the lives of my citizens? Nice. Really powerful. So I'm going to be very pointed uh, with this question. And if it sounds like I'm angry, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm just really passionate about this. I once heard this quote around, if you're used to privilege, equality feels like oppression. And my pointed question to people listening to this that are perhaps thinking, Priya, why did you send this to me? Um, I, you know, I, I'm not racist. I'm, you know, I, I chaired out my Blackout Tuesday Black Square. My question is um, around your privilege. So when you're sharing things, blaming 
you know, protesters for the second wave of COVID-19 or you're, you know, sharing memes um, that are, or you're using phrases like jumping on the bandwagon, like this movement is a bandwagon. I, I really want you to check your privilege um, and to check in about the privilege that you is allowing you to talk from that place of judgment and that place of, quite frankly, not helpfulness. Um, so my question is about privilege and um, whether what you're seeing and saying comes from a place of privilege and are you really okay with that is my is my question. Thank you both. So Danita, an extra big thanks for helping us begin and continue the conversation. And for me, it's uh, goodbye from Washington, D.C., I would like, if possible, to add one small thing, which is a disclaimer mm. that these are my views and I have they have nothing to do with my organization, etc. This is all me. But I thank you both for allowing me to be a part of the conversation. I, I am grateful to have gotten to this point in the conversation with both of you. It feels, it feels um, necessary and wonderful. Dita, thank you for being with us today. You know, it's it's such an important conversation and we can only scratch a surface, but I am glad we scratch a surface together. And what we'll do, Danita, for our listeners is I will link to the two articles that you've mentioned. I'll put links into them when I post the um, podcast. So anybody's interested, the links are there and you can do the reading on the Rachel Cargill article and the other article. And it's goodbye from the UK. Goodbye. All right. Thank you both. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for being with us. Until next time, it's your turn to ask the questions worth asking.